people will discover that, you know what, I took psilocybin or I had a ketamine treatment and, you know, I've been on Zoloft for years and I took ketamine and I'm better. I read these stories every day now. So the ability to get someone off of some pill and into a psychedelic treatment is extremely promising from a societal standpoint and an investment standpoint. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. Over the past few episodes, I've been hammering that mental health is becoming an epidemic in itself. I believe that if our society could open their minds and challenge some of the misconceptions about cannabis, then there is a real opportunity for another viable and readily available option to help ease pain, anxiety, and depression. This is why I wanted to bring on Scott Berman, co-founder and president of the Panther Group, who has spent years researching cannabis products, companies, and legislative developments around marijuana. I learned a lot talking with Scott, and I think you will too. Hey, Scott, I uh, appreciate the time to speak with me today and particularly about the cannabis industry. You're currently the CEO and co-founder, president and co-founder of the Panther Group. Why don't you fill us in on exactly what you all do? Sure. Absolutely, Tom. Thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, the Panther Group, we are an uh, agency in the cannabis space. Um, we operate several venture funds. We've made, our group has made about 40 investments in the cannabis space since 2014. We've invested in about 22 different sectors. So we do a lot of plant touching as well as technology and data and lab testing. Um, we also operate a B2B marketplace and an advertising platform. So we, we love to collect data on cannabis consumers, investors, and businesses. And so we help make a lot of connections and we do a lot of advertising uh, to drive traffic. With the ever-evolving cannabis industry, what are you seeing now that we're in 2022, a new year? What are, what are the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, it's really exciting time. Um, and the thing that's, you know, we've seen a lot happen in, in the last seven years. And we like to say that every six months in cannabis is like two years in another, in another business. So things change rapidly. So a lot of what's changed is, is, is geographically. I actually got into this space through politics and I started looking at what was happening in the states that changed the laws. So in 2014, we had Oregon and Alaska. And then we had California in 2016. And then in 18 and 20, uh, there was a bunch of other states that have come online. So one of the most exciting things about 2022 is the emergence of new states, specifically states like New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Montana, and New Mexico. We also have Midwestern states. And so what we're seeing is that in addition to the new states coming online, the ones that actually flipped in the last two years 
are starting to really mature and grow into very strong markets like Michigan and Illinois. And so this is a very predictable trend now. And there are more and more consumers that are having access to medicine in more places. And where you live, Pennsylvania, that's become a hotbed as well, correct? Pennsylvania is actually one of the best medical markets in the country right now. Uh, there's about, oh, there's well over 500,000 patients in the state um, and the stores are doing extremely well. There's actually a lot of pressure here to flip to adult use because of New Jersey and New York and Connecticut and Vermont and Maine. You know, the entire Northeast of the country now has adult use cannabis laws. Pennsylvania is sitting here in the middle uh, even Virginia and Maryland's going to pass it soon. So I think we could see within a year to two, the entire from Maine down to almost Florida uh, is going to be adult use cannabis. And what's exciting about that is that represents millions of people. There's 31 million people between Connecticut, New York and Jersey that right now don't have adult use. but They're getting it very soon. And so that's that's a really strong trend that we're looking at, too. So you actually see uh, my home, original home state, Georgia. Do you see them? <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned Georgia because actually the Panther Group is headquartered in Georgia, actually. Right. Um, our entire team and, and is down there. And we talk about this a lot. Unfortunately, it's going to be one of the last ones, we believe. But we believe what happens is, and much like it's happening in PA, when you start to get surrounded by it, there's a lot more pressure to flip the laws. So South Carolina actually has talked about changing their laws. Um, there's North Carolina, there's movement. Florida is a very strong medical market and there's a lot of people that wanna flip it to adult use in 24. And so Georgia is going to notice, You know, the politicians in Georgia are gonna think about it. Um, but I think there's gonna be a few states that are gonna be the last ones to go and I think Georgia will be in the mix. You said that New Jersey, are there gonna be tax incentives? And then there's also, I've read multi-state operators and so forth. So how does that come into play? Yeah, so it's really gonna be interesting to see when, when, the, when it really does open up, like how many stores that are coming are individual, you know, mom and pops, how many of them are chains? You know, the Cure Leafs and the True Leaves of the world, like they're gonna be going into every single market. And so they're also acquiring some of the smaller assets, right? you know, some of these smaller mom and pop stores. So, but I think there'll, there'll be a mixture in, in these states. And, you know, part of it, it has to do with the taxes and the profitability that's available. The one interesting thing is there's 38 different states and every single one has a different structure for cannabis, a different regulatory framework. And so it's really important, like that there's a major problem in California with the tax rates and the way the tax is, is administered. And it, it's a mess, frankly. And so the illicit market in California is still as big as ever as it ever was, really. Now, you come back here. Now, New Jersey, I believe, has put in a very smart framework with tax and cannabis. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's a lower, much lower rate. And so the incentive will be to buy at a legal store and not from and the illicit market. It remains to be seen, though. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We hope that we've learned something from the other states. You know, Colorado was the, was the uh, 
tip of the spear, really. They went to adult use and they had a lot of changes. Now they have a really, really strong market there. And so you over time, you know, they, they kind of figure it out. It's really about educating the local politicians to implement the program safely and effectively. How do you foresee this working out for people who mom and pop who want to small business owners? And are they going to have an opportunity to actually survive and emerge? And you don't think it'll be a conglomerate of multi-state operators or? I think it'll be both, actually, and it'll take a long time. So I think that there's an opportunity right now for mom and pop operators to do quite well. Over time, it's going to be harder for them to compete. And maybe an analogy that makes sense is pharmacies. You know, when I was growing up, there was a local pharmacist and there was a different guy over here, a different guy over there. They're all gone and there's a CVS and Rite Aid now. Eventually, it might look like that. But let me give you one other more hopeful analogy. Um, That is bars and liquor stores. There are still a lot of local local flavor bars, locally owned, locally operated. And then there's big, you know, restaurant chains and bars that are all over the country. So I think that there's, there could be a mixture. And it, it really is important, actually, to think about the laws that, are, that in the beginning. And it's important for the, I wish the politicians would think about that more, actually, to make it more fair for the smaller players. You know, a lot of people don't like it when the big corporate people come in and and do it. I think there's this interesting connection between the weed shopper and the store owner that's that's kind of different. Um, it's more of a personal thing. And I don't I don't know for a fact, but I think when a chain takes over, I think it loses something. You know, I actually have a, a relevant example because my local store that opened like four years ago was bought by TrueLeaf. And now I go in there and it's it's a little different. I mean, I'm still buying weed there, but it's like, you know, it used to be a guy, I knew the owner and they sold out for many, many millions. It was a great move sure. by them. So that's the other thing is like these folks, you know, can get into the business now, create something, create, a, and then, you know, cash out and make some real money. It's quite truly is, is that what, that's one of the main largest conglomerates or isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're kind of a monster. They started in mostly in Florida, and then they just started to buy assets in other states. And I believe they picked Pennsylvania because it's a limited license state. As I mentioned, there's a very strong customer base. So they went in and say, who are the top grossing stores? And they went in and bought like three of them at once. <laughs> and then one of the other MSOs bought another three. Now, Panther Group, is it going to be adult use or you CBD? What what other cannabis related products are you involved in? Yeah, it's pretty much all of the above. Um, so what we do is we really study a lot of sectors. We have a CBD beverage that we've invested in. We have a lab testing company. We have a grow operation in Oregon, a vape line in Sacramento. We have a retailer in Michigan, you know, and, and on and on and on. We also look at a lot of the ancillary businesses. We work with a lot of different types of investors and they're interested in different things. So some folks, especially the institutional ones, aren't as comfortable with plant touching. And they might, you know, we have a fintech company that's a very good investment. And we have, you know, a trade show uh, called MJ Unpacked that we invested in. So there's, there's other businesses that you can get into. And then there's just owning, you know, a store or a brand. 
So what we try and do is provide due diligence on the whole variety of them so that we know what's happening in each sector and we can make smart investment decisions from that. Right. How much of the industry is driven towards the medicinal uses and then what part do you think is just profit driven? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that there's a certain segment of the population or the industry that's super focused on medicinal products and getting medicine to, to people that need it. And there's a lot of great people that are doing that. And then, you know, the, as it's gotten bigger, you're now seeing a lot more people that are just, you know, profit. They want to profit off of the space and they don't they're not focused as much on helping patients. It's inevitable that that was going to happen. And we all wish it wouldn't, but it, it happened. So that what we you know, try and do is, as, as our group is focus on both, frankly. You know, we lo I love the idea that every single dollar that we invest is somehow providing medicine to somebody that needs it. You know, I, I got really into the advocacy side of this early on through the Marijuana Policy Project. And I was very you know, interested. They went and spent many years convincing politicians that to, we need to provide medicine for sick people. And that's great. I'm also an entrepreneur and I want to make money for my investors. So I look at that side of it, too. So as long as we don't lose focus on the patient and the consumer, I think we'll be OK. But some people don't look at it the same. No, way. I understand. For me personally, that's what uh, is so appealing is the medicinal use. I don't know what the exact data maybe you do, but what do you know how beneficial it is to alleviate the most important ones anxiety depression ptsd do you roughly do you know data points on that i don't have a lot of specific data points but an overall i have an overall view of this it's actually really exciting is that not only can it work for a whole variety of ailments some of which you listed but it also can help people from a wide variety of age ranges so you could have a 23-year-old with anxiety and 80-year-old with back pain or sleep problems, and they both could use can the same cannabis products or very similar products. So it's very exciting to think about how do we bring people in as consumers and have them solve different problems. One of the things, one of the ways I, I originally got into this space was through uh, digital marketing and healthcare. And what we were doing was targeting people based on prescriptions and ailments and trying to get them to either switch medication or get a surgery or get insurance based on a condition or, or something they were taking. So if they were taking X amount of medicine for this ailment, we would try and get them on something else potentially. So I'm really fascinated by cannabis as a substitute for something. You know, there's a great expression like less pills, more pot. Yeah. We, we go to the doctor, the doctor gives us pills, 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 pills. And there, a lot of them are not great for you, honestly. And this plant is much better. That's exactly what I'm in favor of. Uh, yeah, no question. What, and speaking of plants, are you investing or what, what other sectors? Psychedelics? Yeah, yes. We're, we're very interested in psychedelics. Um, we've made investments in psilocybin, actually. Um, Low-dose psilocybin for PTSD and depression, like a pharma-grade a pharma 
uh, psilocybin product that's non-psychoactive, but that can replace Zoloft and Lexapro, which think about that. Like we, there's some amazing research going on in the psilocybin space and anecdotal evidence, of course, but also now scientific clinical trials, which are yielding unbelievable results. There's one great story after the next. So we believe that it will evolve and, and it will evolve a little bit differently than cannabis, but it's still similar in that, you know, just like I was saying, like people will discover that, you know what, I took psilocybin or I had a ketamine treatment and, you know, I've been on Zoloft for years and I took ketamine and I'm better. I read these stories every day now. So the ability to get someone off of some pill and into a psychedelic treatment is extremely promising from a societal standpoint and an investment standpoint. Back to helping patients and profits, I think there's both. I, I think we can change people's lives with the use of, of psychedelics. If they're administered properly, if we have enough knowledge and research that goes into it, then it could be game-changing. It is game-changing for people. Um, and as an investor, I believe that we can see a lot of huge, we already have seen huge valuations for psychedelic companies, you know, that have already gone public and made people money. There's money being made today on these deals. So I'm excited for it and it's super early. I get mixed feelings and feedback from other people. Other guests have talked about microdosing and it's different. For instance, what is the data point as far as the microdosing? So there's no hallucinations whatsoever. This would just be purely at what point? I mean, you're just an elevation of it would alleviate your stress level. What, what else will it do? Though? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because, yes, there's no psychoactive. There's no hallucinations. You know, there's there's a big difference between taking a microdose and, and a hallucinogenic dose. Really, this is where you have to know what you're doing. Um, but you could take a microdose and not feel much at all. But over time, it helps you with your focus. It helps you with your mental, you know, stress level. Certainly, it helps you. Could help you sleep better. It helps you with more positive thoughts. Frankly, it helps me with things that I can't describe. I, I, I can't describe the ben all the benefits of it, and I haven't been doing that long. But I mean, it's just very. You know, um, it's very therapeutic in a way, and it's very interesting. And like, it's an experiment that many people are taking now, and we we need more research. But I think again, you're going to find people needing the other things less, like maybe drinking less booze or taking less pills, start microdosing, and they cut down on their drinking. Right. I'm not quoting any <laughs> data points. I'm saying that I think that's going to happen, and I'm pretty sure it's happening today with people. Very well, that's what I love about how often you hear of somebody, uh, an act of violence when somebody is on cannabis. Never. Uh, seriously. It's just like a totally different thing where it alleviates stress. It also, from that stress level, you're not having this, if you're really got some serious psychoactive or, or issues, mental health issues, perhaps, it's going to alleviate that that anger that you have. I would love to know what the real, I haven't done a deep dive, but how that's affected society. You don't run across very uh, many angry or <laughs> or any, have instances of when somebody is 
high. Yeah. I think that what's interesting to me is as we get more legal we access to weed in more places, we'll have more data on this. Yeah. And, and the data is very like here's one quick point is that people were afraid that once legal weed came in, people, like you say, would drive high and they would do what they do when they're drunk driving. But the data shows something different, actually, that high driving, there's less accidents, there's less speeding. Yeah. You know, a lot of people drive slower. Um, there's certainly focus is a lot different. You know, when you're high, you focus a lot differently than when you're drunk. Right. We know this. And so I think it's really interesting, you know, and but there's also just from a higher level, there's more of a collective calm and level of, of anxiety and stress that, that people have that's lower when, when there's regular cannabis use, you know, and it's, it's been proven over and over again for a long time. And we, you know, what's really also interesting is that there's so many different ways to consume. You know, there's low dose edibles, there's mints, you know, low dose mints. So, you know, someone, you know, you don't have to smoke a joint to, to relax anymore. You can have a cannabis beverage. Um, you could have a little tincture under your tongue. And so the more that we have this medicine is accessible to people of different ages again, you know, the more that you're, what you said will happen where people will chill out and be happier. And, you know, we have a lot of mental health issues in this country. And to me, one tiny way to help is more weed for everyone. Well, I mean, that's why, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk to you and get your input because, uh, Mental health has become a, an epidemic in itself. I mean, that's I keep hammering that. Particularly in American society, we could get past some of these mental blocks that people and this, the bias that people have. Like, oh, marijuana, you know, and that's the thing. You don't have to smoke a joint. It's not just a joint. You, there are other forms, gummies, edibles, tinctures, mints. So you're not harming your lungs anymore, per se. Uh, which yeah. is great. And um, that's the that's the point is I, I, any any way, whether it's psychedelics, cannabis, there has to be better forms than just relying on what pharmaceutical companies have tried to ram down our throats. We need to educate medical professionals, too. We need the medical professionals to recommend it. Uh, for patients as opposed to pills in, in certain situations. But, you know, I also just believe with, with the whole plant-based, you know, thing, it's like we, it, there's so much that we have to learn and we need, once we learn it, it's amazing about how these different plant medicines can help us physically and, and mentally. To me, I know the answer, but I don't know the answer. You know what I mean? Like, I know that this is good. <laughs> I know it's good for me. I know it's good for you. I know it's good for my mother, you know, who's a yeah. cannabis patient, yeah. right? But we, what we don't have is clinical proof a lot of the time. We don't have federal, you know, legalization of these things. We have, you know, it's great that psilocybin is now legal locally in several places. So now more people can access it more people can get a benefit from it. And there's going to be a lot more stories about psilocybin did this for me or that for me. And so I think we're heading in a very positive direction for plant-based medicine in general. But we need to like, what we what I'd like to do is accelerate it. And, and part of it is with investment dollars. The more money that comes into this space, the more we can do this testing and learning and advertising around it. I mean, I'll give a perfect example. I basically, I did. I broke the law. I gave my dad 
who had uh, cancer of the esophageal and he was in severe pain and, and, and was not eating his, his appetite. And so I was giving him pot brownies uh, and yeah. he wouldn't, I offered it to him first and he, he said no. And so one of my favorite stories is I gave him, I brought some pot brownies and he said, oh, uh, did your, did your girlfriend make this? I said, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, just try one, dad. We're watching the Super Bowl, And the next thing I know, he's eating not just a couple of brownies, but like four bowls of ice cream. He's in a, he's in a great <laughs> mood. Now we're football fanatics. So he was still screaming at the TV a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean, he was in just, it changed his total demeanor. And then when I, when after the game and like when he was getting ready to go to bed and I was heading back to my house, I just had a grin. I said, by the way, dad, how are you feeling? And he said, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. <laughs> and uh, right. well, by the way, I, I just gave you a couple of brownies. <laughs> and so uh, he, he was open to that until, um, yeah. and, and he let me do that a couple, like three or four other times before he passed away. And it's just, Anything to alleviate stress, pain, um, trauma, transition into the next life. I'm for, man. I'm with you. That's why I think it's important that we've got to get and look in this. We've, we've been looking at this the wrong lens for so long. Yes. And it uh, bugs the shit out of me. Yes. And so I want to talk to people like you who, who know what's going on with the industry and why important because yeah. I do think that alcoholism will, will go down when people are given the opportunity legally in their States, it's going to be slower in my state where I live. I live in Austin, Texas, and Georgia, like my home, where I'm yeah. from aggravating, you know, where these things are not on the yes. forefront. Now there's candidates like Beto O'Rourke is all for legalization, but the chances of him winning, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I think it's it's inspiring that people are at least changing all in all regions of the country their perspective and seeing the benefits in all types of products across the board in cannabis. I'm pretty excited to see it's in its infancy stage. Like we talked about psychedelics as well. What states do you think are going to go next towards legalization? What are on the forefront? I'm, I'm going to answer that, but I first want to tell you, I appreciate your story and I'm sorry about your father passing. My mom, I had a similar story. I got her on to pot brownies okay. years ago. Uh, she's a three times cancer. Like she's had three types of cancer and I said to her years ago, I'm like, mom, there's a lot of evidence that cannabis can slow down your cancer. Like people at the, on the West Coast were talking about Rick Simpson oil. Yep. So I brought some home from a trip and I said, just take this. And you know what? There's no real evidence yet, but there, we, don't, we can't wait for real evidence. You've had cancer a bunch. Like, let's take it now and see what happens. And you, you know what? You're going to sleep better. You're not going to worry as much. She worries a lot, my mom. And, you know, so overall, it's going to be good for you. Well, you know, she's been on in five years. She's She loves it. But in the, in the early years, I had to go uh, bring it home illegally. 
And I only was able to do it when I took a trip to Denver or whatever. But then Pennsylvania changed the law. Now she's a medical patient. There's a store around the corner. She can get access to it whenever she wants. She's tried new products. She loves it. That's a direct result of the law changing. The only reason she got it beforehand because her son was working in the industry and I started to teach her and send her articles. But what about, you know, people that don't have that, like in Austin, Texas, you know, they might be in the same situation and have no knowledge or access to Rick Simpson. Oil, yeah. Right. So how do we change that and get these people the medicine they really need and maybe prolong their lives? You know, exactly. I mean, and that's why it's important. Weed is different, going to be different for everybody. I'm not saying it, but I, what I'm driven towards and why I'm talking to you is we need to provide options that are, that are yeah. better than friggin' painkillers. Seriously. It's really it's terrible. And we've been lied to. <laughs> you know, we, we've been lied to by the government for a very long time that cannabis is schedule one that's as dangerous as, uh, you know, methamphetamine, cocaine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, opiates it's, have become an epidemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, another data point is opioid. Sorry, Tom. The data mm-hmm. uh, opioid deaths go down in legal markets when cannabis is, is legalized. I know. I'm glad you pointed that out. Thank you for sharing that story because I've. It's difficult, but I, it's important for me to share the, my personal anecdotes that I was literally like breaking the law to alleviate my father's pain and suffering. I know, and that's that's got to change. So. Bringing change. it full circle, where what are yeah. the next state, states on the forefront yeah. of legalization? Well, so as far as changing the laws, um, I actually think PA and Maryland are going to change their laws soon. So I think those are two states that will flip from medical to adult. We have New Jersey, which is approved adult use, and it will go live in like late 22. So we're, we're very active in the New Jersey area. It's going to be really strong. Uh, we believe New York will be at the end of 22, but probably into 23. Uh, maybe the, like a year from now, we think New York will start to get going with adult use. Connecticut is going right now. Texas, you know, there's rumors about Texas too. Texas has a lot of, there's a lot of support in the legislature. I think you hit the nail on the head though. The governor is the key. If, if somehow O'Rourke wins, you might have uh, cannabis sooner because the governor, you know, there's there's the state, House and Senate. And a lot of times it's very close. Um, There's a situation in North Carolina, actually, where there's a lot of support in the legislature for cannabis, but the governor's against it. I think that with 22, with the election cycle, uh, with a change in Congress, you know, I've always looked at it every two years because every two years, there's every congressman is flipped or, you know, or not, but every race is up. There's always a senator, you know, here and there that gets in. Um, And then there's governors. And then there's the state house, which turns over and the state Senate. So they have to run every two years. So when that happens, we can have a big push uh, for legalization. So it might not look great in Texas and Georgia right now, but after 22, Stacey Abrams is running in Georgia for governor. She is pro-cannabis. She might be able to move Georgia in the right direction on that on this subject, you know. Um, So a lot depends on the outcome of the elections. Um, But 
The good news is that it's becoming more like there's more states that have it than don't. And there's, I don't know the quite number, but there's over 80% of the population of the U.S. has access to cannabis right now. The states that don't have cannabis laws have don't have a lot of population. You know, maybe Texas is the one big example that of a huge state that really doesn't have I'm much. I'm afraid yet. it is. That's um, the, the glaring right. example. It's, it's, yeah. it's the glaring example. Yeah, you're right. No, <laughs> it's all good. I mean, it's definitely, I think, the most populous state, which is moving yeah. at a snail's pace. Here's another reason to be positive, though, because the one thing I've done and studied this very carefully is that it's one of those issues that's not necessarily a red versus blue you know, Democrats on one side, Republicans on another. We have too many issues like that in this country. Can't we all just be purple, Tom? <laughs> okay, no, no. but in, in cannabis, it's old versus young. And when you have politicians that are under the age of 60, they're in, you know, and, and voters, the marijuana, you know, everyone wants it legal. No one cares anymore. But you still have a lot of states where, I hate to say this, but like, you know, 65 and older males, <laughs> white male, 65 year old politicians that are have always been against cannabis will never change their minds. Right. And they also don't look at the social equity problem and the injustice that we've done. And it's a whole nother thing that we haven't gotten to. But these laws have been unfair to minorities for a long time. Without question. And we need and we need to fix that, too. But a lot of the time, you know, in these state houses and legislatures, there's a bunch of old guys and, they, and they're against weed and they never will change, you know, but every two years they're replaced by younger vote, younger politicians and younger voters. And so the law gets closer and closer. So I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of states. And eventually it'll happen everywhere. It just takes longer. What do you think? Do you think we have to a decade? I mean, we're talking about a generation. <laughs> Because, yeah, the glaring problem is, I think it's totally generational. So anybody who's yeah. 65 and up, but that's not always the case. I think the old guard or that type of thinking, once they are retired <laughs> or, or yeah. whatever, they move on in one fo form or fashion. I think the chances of these things becoming alternative forms of medicine becoming legal probability will increasingly happen we also go have the economic impact too though that's the other thing is that no matter even if you're against weed in general you, you can't deny the economic impact on your state and, and the potential and the fact that your neighbors are having all this money come in you know cannabis makes money for everybody <laughs> pretty much not you know i'm exaggerating but, yeah. but you know like the businesses make money, the tax, you know, the taxes are big. There's just a lot that really happens in a positive way. And and that's what we have to just focus on, too, that it's not are you against it or not, too. It's creating jobs for your community, you know, and it's creating businesses. There's a lot of those benefits, too, that these politicians will realize over time. Which makes me think, where is some of the the most the poorest states poverty like mississippi where are they currently do you know you know there's been there's actually positive news out of mississippi i believe they uh expanded their they did something recently and i don't want to quote it because i don't exactly remember but 
there's definitely some positive movement in Mississippi. It's still not on the forefront. <laughs> you know, they're still behind. But then you have like a state like Oklahoma, which is, you know, a lot of people from Texas are getting into Oklahoma to buy cannabis because there's a lot of cannabis there. So Mississippi is going to be surrounded by other states that, you know, pretty soon too. I know Arkansas is coming and Missouri and Arkansas are doing really well now and they're expanding. And so there's just a lot of those states that are smaller, maybe in the middle or the south part of the country that are starting to slowly but surely turn it up. Yeah. I've been reading stuff about cryptocurrency getting involved in the cannabis industry. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do and I don't. <laughs> okay. Yes. There's a lot of people trying to get into cannabis through crypto because there's a whole payments issue. There's a big financial, there's a lot of problems with banking and cannabis and accepting credit cards. Can't really just accept a credit card. Some places you can't use debit you have a lot of weird issues. So there's, it's a pretty good idea to bring a crypto technology into a, a cannabis operation. The challenge is that there's a lot of different flavors and there's a lot of confusion. Not everyone has the wallets and, and it's, it's hard as a merchant to offer something that everybody be on. Like everybody's got a Visa and MasterCard pretty much or, or has a debit or something. But if you want to offer a crypto payment in your store, you have to be integrated with a lot of things. And so it's very slow going, but I think it's a trend that we will see. I look at it as crypto and retail period. How, how will crypto get into every, how will I start to make my everyday purchases with, or will I, I I'm still not sure if I would okay. make a purchase with a crypto as opposed to a debit or cash. I suppose I'm a little older than the, than the mine. <laughs> And the typical crypto audience, fine. But until it's really widely accepted at retail, I think it's going to be a struggle for cannabis. Yeah, I, I think that uh, what you're saying, BlockFi, they've got a, there has to be one sole integrated, more fluid system for it because I, there is an opportunity for it to work and coexist and, and make things a lot easier in so many ways for the industry. Yeah. I know every dispenser I go to in the country will take my cash. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's usually my yep, theory. For sure. Absolutely. What uh, I have to, because we're, are you going to go to any Dead & Co. shows? <laughs> uh, well, I went to uh, one in, I went to Dead & Co. in July or August in Philadelphia, um, which was great. And I don't know, I've, I don't know, I haven't checked the tour schedule, but if they come around here, I will go. I won't travel that far for Dead & Co., but I will see them when they're here. Yeah. Well, I think they're still doing Mexico, but I, I just yeah. came back from Mexico uh, oh, nice. uh, for, for the holiday. Well, I'm actually headed to, to, to Jamaica for String Cheese Incident in a couple of weeks. Oh, really? Yes. So I will be going out of town for some music soon. Uh, are you going to be doing anything work-related down there as far as... Uh, we, we actually, you know what? We have a deal in Jamaica that we're working on, actually. Um, they're making pharmaceutical-grade cannabis in Jamaica and selling it into Mexico and Latin America. And so uh, they're in Montego Bay. I'm going to try and visit with them. But mostly a fun vacation. But yes, there is business in Jamaica. And what about, is psilocybin legal there? Or 
I'm not even sure exactly because I hear different stories, but what is legal there is research and you're allowed to uh, test it there. Okay. So you, there's clinics in Jamaica where you can go and, and take psilocybin under supervision and there are legal clinics and there's actually a lot of trials going on there. This is where a lot of the clinical trials are happening in Jamaica. I'm pretty sure you can legally consume psilocybin in a supervised setting in Jamaica. They're definitely at the forefront of that. Right. Canada too, actually. So, you know, there's places that are opening up on that front. Uh, well, the one thing I will bring up before we go, uh, you're involved with Athletes for Care, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to talk to the executive director and Anna Valent, and she's, uh, do you want to talk about that organization you're involved? Sure. I'd love to. No, I appreciate you bringing that up. So great nonprofit, Athletes for Care. Uh, we started by a former member of the Philadelphia Flyers named Riley Cote and Lindy Snyder, whose family owned the Flyers. And basically, Athletes for Care supports dozens, hundreds of athletes from different sports in their career after they retire. So a lot of athletes retire and have a lot of things to deal with, including physical and mental issues. So one of the reasons Riley got involved was he got a lot of concussions from playing hockey and getting in fights. And he started to use cannabis, hemp, psilocybin, CBD, etc., to help himself get over these brain injuries. And when he retired, he realized his body was beaten up and he dedicated his life to you know, becoming a plant-based guy and, and it changed everything. And there's lots of other athletes in different sports that are faced with these issues. The use of cannabis and CBD and, and psilocybin, even ketamine, you know, these things are really beneficial to not just athletes, but everyone. Um, but athletes have particular issues to deal with. A lot of them have ailments that are, are chronic, you know, knee pain, back pain, head injuries, as we discussed, like these medicines are a huge benefit to, and they could really be game changers. Um, certainly with PTSD, there's many stories about football and hockey players that have had major brain injuries. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can really help these athletes with. So we're advocates. We want more, we want to bring more athletes in and bring awareness to these, um, these ailments and really understand how this is different from some other thing, you know, some pill or something. Uh, but there's also providing, we're also providing financial opportunities for them to get into businesses. You know, a lot of them don't retire with, uh, are able to just retire from working. You know, they're in their thirties, they get injured and their career is over and it's tough. You know, they dedicated all their life to becoming a professional athlete. And now, you know, they have to face the next 30 or 40 years. And so we help them with that transition. It's a really wonderful organization. And let me actually put a plug in for the athletes for court, athletes for tour. Sorry, athletes for care golf tour. There you go. I got it. The golf tour. We do golf events in four different cities a couple times a year, where we bring professional athletes out to play, and people can come and hang out with these guys and gals. And it's a great cause. And we'll you know check out the website for announcements. But there's uh, different tournaments that'll be coming up this year. Yeah, and I said there's a tournament it. coming up uh, in Phoenix area, Phoenix, I believe, in March, March. 30th. Perfect. Thank you. you <laughs>
Yes, I, I didn't know the next. Yes, you're right. Uh, and there's one definitely in Philadelphia, like in probably the spring, um, which will be the big one because a lot of athletes are in this area. So we'd love to get more people involved. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for spending the time and uh, talking about this because I think it's really important that people listen and, and people just need more information. And the more information that we get out and different perspectives from all, all athletes, I wanted, I would love to speak to some of their stories and, and how they've been helped with plant medicine because it's important. Yeah. It's huge, you know, and, and uh, actually I'll bring up Riley again because he's an inspirational guy. And when I first met him, I learned an awful lot about mushrooms like that I didn't know before. And he's sort of and he got me interested in like, you know, learning more. So I would encourage all your listeners, like do a lot of research, read. You know, there's Michael Pollan's book. There's a fantastic fungi, which is a great documentary. Um, and so I, the more that I read and learn about this stuff, the more I'm fascinated from my own, you know, for my own personal use, but also just for society. Like we can really do a lot, but, and, and I appreciate, this is why it's great what you're doing, Tom, because you're getting the word out to people and educating people. And the more that people listen to you, the more they'll go down their own journey on this stuff and, and people will be better off. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, absolutely. I, it's just, uh, I had to take risks to help not just myself, but my a, a perfect example, my dad alleviate his pain. Things need to change and people need different options. Yeah. And yeah. Um, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You got it, Tom. Thank right. you. Take care. Well, listeners, this officially marks the 10th episode of Neurons to Nirvana. It is only the beginning of our journey. And it's exciting to put a little more of myself out there with each episode. But some, like my sister might say, it's a bit much. So now is the time where I want to learn more about your interests. Find me on Neurons2Nirvana.com, follow me on Instagram or Twitter, and tell me what you'd like to hear about. Where are your curiosities and passions? This could never be possible without your loyalty and insight. It's the start of a new year, and I'd love to be inspired on where to journey next. And who knows, you may be the lucky listener to receive a Neurons to Nirvana engraved Yeti. Until next time, thank you for listening. This is Neurons to Nirvana.